This morning's reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It can be found on page 1082 in your pew Bible. That is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I will be reading from the New King James Version. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we are thankful for many of you that are involved in Meals on Wheels. There are hundreds and hundreds of meals in a year's time that are served out of our facility and from, from your homes that you make available. And we're thankful to have the opportunity this evening to uh, show a little gratitude to each of you that participate in that and then also to have that way of communication. And we are thankful uh, for each of you. And we're thankful for the stalwarts and all that they do in the leadership of that. We're also thankful that our young people are at a weekend called Rush. It's a youth rally uh, type format that is all weekend long at Fried Hardeman University. And we have several of our high school students there and we're thankful for their love for God. And let's be prayerful for their safe return. Also, we're excited about next week being Family Day. And so if you've kind of put off a little bit of, of getting involved in this, today is the day to get involved in it. Be sure and pick up the cards and think of friends that would appreciate the invitation to hear about family. And pick up cards and go by your family's house or mail them uh, to them and let them know that we'd love for them to be a part of it. I want to encourage you to think of at least five individuals that you'll invite and then be prayerful about it and make sure that this week that you do invite them. Keep in mind, this is a topic that oftentimes individuals have this topic on their mind and on their heart very heavily. And it is a very good introduction to help them learn the best way to be family is by learning God's design of family. And so be sure that, that you take advantage of this opportunity to reach out and to encourage others. There are postcards here. There are Yard signs, if you'd like to put those out, if you live in the city limits of Mount Juliet, be sure to have those 25 feet off the curb. And we would like for you to do that so that hundreds of people each day would see that and would know that there's something good taking place here. Also, about the day itself, uh, the meal is provided after the second service under the huge tent that will be back on the creek side here, the back of our parking lot. And many of you will remember from last year how... Uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful day. The time of year is perfect uh, to eat outside, and the meal will be provided. If you will, bring your favorite dessert, and we look forward to eating some uh, delicious desserts along with that day. And then the evening service will be primarily singing. It'll be under the tent, and a lot of that is because of your request from last year of how much you enjoyed that. It truly was one of the best evenings of the year last year, and so we look forward to spending that time outdoors next Sunday evening underneath the tent and singing together. Pursuing God's heart. 
all quarter long. We're trying to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates because we truly do want to be closer to God. A year and a half ago, Barna Research did a survey that revealed some surprises. Some of the simple questions were things that, such as this. What is the most important relationship in your life? Now, the most frequent answer was with my spouse. The second most frequent answer was my children. But then after that, the answers were somewhat surprising. Only 2% said with their friends, but only 3% of all surveyed said that the most important relationship in their life was with their God. Isn't that sad? We live in a culture, in, in, a, in a, a country, where well over 80% of our neighbors proclaim to be of the Christian faith. But when asked what is the most important relationship in their life, 3%, only 3% said the most important relationship is with God. Now Barna, in summarizing this research, and he has written seven or eight books on faith in the American culture, and he summarizes in this way. He believes that these findings indicate that people may have forgotten the ultimate reason for belonging to the Christian faith. And then he continues by saying, Christians struggle to think of God as a living partner in their life. This morning, how do you see God? Do you know a God who loves you that if you are going to pursue His love, He is worthy of every bit of your heart? When we love Him with all of our being, every other relationship falls into place under His guidance and under His love. And yet sometimes we seem to lose focus of the main thing. We know the expression, keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's the main thing. You know, George Washington was one time asked if, they, if he believed that God was on our side. And he corrected them to say the question isn't, is God on our side? Are we on His side? You see, God is right where He's always been. A loving God who loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. And the question is, do you love Him? Do you love Him more than anybody? other. How can you know? Can you know? Can you know if you're in a right relationship with God? In 1 John, the fifth chapter, John does for us what he does in many of his writings, and that is he tells us why he's writing the book. In 1 John 5 and 13, notice what he says. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, you notice that? I'm writing this to you, why? That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's interesting here to note that John very straightforward says, I'm telling you why I'm writing this short epistle. I'm writing it because I want you to know that you have eternal life. In other words, I want you to have that relationship and then I want you to know that all of the promises that comes from that relationship, they're yours. But how often times do we hear Christians saying, well, I, I just don't know. I'll have to wait to the day of judgment to see whether or not I'm saved. God says you can know. You know, it's interesting how 
We would expect the world to say, I'm just not really certain. I don't know if I'm saved or not. Why don't we put a sign on the marquee that says, are you worried about your salvation? Come and worry about it with us. Is that a description of who we are? Are we sitting here this morning worried about whether or not we're saved? Is it because we're lukewarm? Is it because we're indifferent? Or is it because we doubt God's promises? God is faithful. And God says, you ought to know that you have eternal life. And then once we know that, He says, I also want you to continue in that. I want you to continue believing. The text that was just so capably read, six times in those short three verses, six times he tells, I have written. He either says, I am writing or I have written. Six times. And all six times he follows that by saying, because. In other words, the participle there tells the reason for, I am writing you because. What is it that God wants us to know? As we think about this writing, it's clear that he is writing to what he breaks down three people or three groups of people. One, he says, I'm writing to children. Two, he says, I'm writing to young men. Three, he says, I'm writing to fathers. Now, are these three verses truly male gender oriented? In other words, if you're not a child this morning or you're not a young man or a father, this is not for you. I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that that would be the proper application of what's being written here. And we can study the context this morning and you can see if you draw that conclusion. It is clear though that he is writing to individuals that would be in different stages or in different phases of life, if you will. For example, oftentimes in our culture, we break down adulthood into three phases. Now, the Bible usually doesn't do that. But we talk about young adults, middle age, and older. The Bible generally talks about children, young adults. And in the Bible, when he says, when the writer says a young man, the Greek there is generally referring to anyone 40 years and under. I just made some of you in your upper 30s feel real good, didn't I? And then, and then the older, and this is going to make some of you in your young 40s not feel so good. But in the Bible, if you're 40 and above, you're the older. And so what is he doing here? He's pointing to, to different uh, stages or different phases in life. This next weekend, well, on, on Friday night and Saturday morning, I'll, I'll be speaking uh, to, to a seminar of men. And there's three speakers. And so there, there is a, a young man that uh, many of you would know very well, Thaddeus Hill. And they've asked him to come in and speak to the, uh, to the whole audience, but speak targeting especially the younger and then I'll come in and, and I am to represent the middle age and to speak primarily on things that, that would be the challenge of that time in life. And then many of you remember from a couple of years ago, Kent Allen coming in and speaking to us from Oklahoma. And, and he is the one that they have asked to come in to speak to those on the older part of life. The only reason I'm illustrating that is I want you to see how common it is for us in our day-to-day -day life to think about the different phases of life. Now, the Bible doesn't turn a blind eye to that reality. There are different stages of life. The truth is those stages remind us that life is made up of growth. In other words, life equals growth. When, when, when you think about what's a puppy supposed to do? 
other than chew up everything, is supposed to become a dog one day. What's a baby supposed to do? A baby is supposed to become a person, a, an adult one day. What, what is a seed supposed to do? A seed is, is supposed to create a mature plant one day that would produce fruit one day. In other words, what's the point? When, when we talk about these things, generally, we don't even have to describe them. We don't even have to explain it because everybody we're talking to knows that we are referring to life. If you plant a garden and your corn gets to be knee-high and it stops growing, you don't look at that and say, that's natural. You look at it and say, there's concern. There's something wrong with my row of corn right now. Why? It stopped growing. And usually what do we say after that? We say, I think it has died. When, when you transplant something, what do you want to see? Whether or not to know it's alive, is it going to make it through this transplant or not? And what do you look for? Over the next few days, you look for the tiniest bit of growth. And when you see just a little bit of growth on that plant, you say, it's alive. Why? Because life, life is defined by growth. And any time that growth is not there, there is serious, serious problems. And so what is John doing here? John is writing an epistle to say, I want you to have confidence that you're saved. And I want you to have a belief system that is continuing so that it's not a spurt. It's not, I, I was saved, but then I lost my way. It's that I'm saved and I want to stay on that way. I want to continue growing closer to God. But it's also the reality, we're at different phases, if you will. Because when we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord as a babe. And then we grow up and we'd be much more like a, a young adult. And then we would mature and become much more like a father figure in the faith, if you will. And so he writes, and, and let's notice this and see what we can gain over the next few minutes in noticing this. Just to point out the fact that we are to be moving towards something, I'd like for you to just glance at these three passages on, on the screen here. And we're just going to mention them uh, for time's sake and move on. But when we think about the Apostle Paul, he described his life in Philippians 3 and 14 that he pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He throughout his life, knew that he was reaching for something higher. He was growing. He had something he was moving toward. When we look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in 11 and 12, he talks about what leaders are supposed to do to help the people. Help the people do what? Help the people grow into the likeness of the stature of Jesus Christ, into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Or when we think of 1 Peter, the second chapter in verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Milk, not meat for babes, but they desire how often does a baby want to eat? How often do you want to eat? Do you desire the Word of God? That is who is growing. Whoever is on that track to realize that there is a spiritual life to live. It's not, it's not static. We are alive spiritually and we are to be growing. With that in mind, look at the text, if you will, back at verse 12. We're studying 1 John, the second chapter, verse 12, 13, and 14. He says at the beginning of 12, I write to you little children. And I know in our English Bible, this may seem uh, just a tad bit confusing at first. Each of these other times that he talks uh, twice about the children, the young men, and the fathers. Each of the other times, the words are very consistent. But they're not when he mentions little children. 
And what seems to be the point of him choosing different Greek words to talk about little children is he seems to be saying in verse 12, I want to talk to the offspring of God. Those that are God's spiritual children. Now later on when he talks to little children, he seems to be talking to babes. Like it's the very same Greek word there that whenever Jesus was a baby and they fled down to Egypt, it's that very same word. It's used many times. But the first time he uses the word, he uses the word that he uses seven times just in 1 John to talk to the church as a whole and he calls the whole church my little children. So what is he saying to everybody? Look again there at 12. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. What's the beauty? If you and I are children of God, our sins are forgiven. You remember the day you became a Christian? You remember when you were baptized into Christ and you came out of that water knowing your sins were forgiven. What a blessing. And notice how it's not for your glory's sake. It's for His name's sake. We become Christians and we're able to say, I'm redeemed. Not because I can boast of myself, look at the perfect life I am. Look at the righteous person that I've always been. No, the only way that we can boast, the only way we can glory is to boast in God and to give God the glory. It's for His name's sake. It's by His blessings that we have become children of God. And don't ever fail to appreciate the fact that your sins are forgiven and that you are redeemed, if in fact you are. What a blessing it is. So He speaks to the whole church and then He becomes much more specific. And let's look down at the end of 13. At the end of 13... He is writing to babes here. And at the end of 13, he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. That's interesting because it's so simple. What does he have to say to the little children who are the babes in Christ? He says, I want to write to you because you've known the Father. Now, if you haven't already picked up on the fact, this whole paragraph... The purpose for John is just to build confidence. To remind people of the blessing that we have if we are a child of God. And so he says to the little children, you've known the Father. In other words, Romans 8, you've been adopted into the family. Now the child knows that. That's why they wanted to become a Christian. Children connect to their parents. God designed it that way. How many times have you seen a mother or a father holding their baby and the baby just sits there and stares at the parent? What's happening? We sometimes use the word bonding. But it's a reality that there is, there is a, a parental connection there. That that child will always be engaged in that relationship because there's something that is powerful about the parent-child relationship. What is it that, that God says to the child? He says... You know. You know your father. Now, as we think about that, we think about the first time he talked about children. You see, the first time, back in verse 12, he talked about children. I could tell you today that I will always be Roy and Clara's son. 
I will always be their child. You see, that's not connected to age. But now as we use it here, he uses a word where the word and the context is related to age. In other words, in infancy, what did you know when you became a Christian? Well, a lot of us didn't know a whole lot, but we knew this. We knew God was our Father, our Almighty, that He has a Son who is our Savior. And we knew God in that sense. But now what happens if we just stay there? I want us to read three passages, and if you want to turn to them or we'll have them on the screen, and we can't spend a lot of time on any of the three, but I want you to notice the danger of staying a babe too long. Back up, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Paul wanted to say some things to the people here at Corinth, and they simply weren't ready. They should have been beyond the point of being a babe. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, notice verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ. You catch that? I wanted to talk to you about things that had a greater spiritual depth. You're not ready for it. You're still a baby. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And what he means there is you're behaving by the flesh, not by the spirit. So he's not saying you're behaving men as immature. He's saying men as in fleshly. And then he says in four, for when one says, I'm a Paul and another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? Do you see all of this? He kind of piles into one basket and he says, you've got a lot of problems going on in the church there. Paul, what kind of problems do you have? You have strife, you have envy, you have division, and you even have people that are following preachers instead of following the Lord. Here's people that are willing to divide to say, I'll follow that man. Paul, why would people do that? He brings it back to one thing. He says, you're not maturing. You're still babes in Christ. And when you're babes in Christ, you're going to have division in congregation. When the majority of a congregation remains babes in Christ, you're going to have problems with unity and division. You're going to have problems with people following things or people other than Jesus Christ. Now note this. When we first become a child of God, God has no problem with us being a babe. You see what we're reading back in 1 John 2? The ones who are babes in Christ, He's not rebuking them because they are babes in Christ. The only time the Lord rebukes babes is when they stay or continue babes well beyond the years that they should be moving toward maturity. Let's just build on the same thing as we go over to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, we have three verses. Very similar, but different details. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. You see what's happening? He says, it's time for you to stop being a babe. It's time for you to start eating meat. Stop drinking milk, but you can't do it. We're having to go back and we're having to start with the milk all over again. Why? For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Of course, that's maturity. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right, what are some primary points we can take and just add on to what we just left in 1 Corinthians? We see again the difference in a babe and someone's maturing. We see it's milk and we see that it's meat. But he says, it's how skillful can you be in the Word of God? 
The only way you can be skillful in the Word of God is to use it. Now, how do you use the Word of God? First, you have to learn it. And then he says in the last verse we read, you use it to exercise your discernment. How do you know what's right and how do you know what's wrong? Listen, babes oftentimes are not going to know what's right and what's wrong. That's why there needs to be a, uh, a flock, if you will, of eldership and of brothers and sisters that are older than them that look after them and love them so that they can guide them through those years of infancy. But then as they grow and mature, they use the Word of God skillfully and it's exercise, it's being used to discern right and wrong so that now we know we're maturing when we go into the workplace and we think, you know, I used to handle that in a different way. I don't handle it that way anymore. That's not right. Now I turn the other cheek. Now I don't gossip. Now if I have a problem, I go to the one I have a problem with and I talk it over to their face. We go into our home and we say, you know, back when I was a babe, I did this differently. Now I'm a different kind of spouse. Now I'm a different kind of child. Now I'm a different kind of parent. Now that I'm no longer a babe, now I deal differently with my neighbors. Now that I'm, a, now that I'm not a babe, I deal differently with my material possessions. Now that I'm not a babe, do you realize it literally is moving from, from being an infant to saying now I've learned the Word of God and I exercise it. It is changing me. In other words, all of us could take in the physical sense and we could, have put, we could put a baby on this stage and we could put a young man on this stage that's 35 years old and everybody, including our children, would know there's a difference in the two. You see what, what the Bible is teaching us? There is supposed to be a huge difference in someone who comes into Christ as a babe and someone who has begun to exercise the Word of God in their life. Now... Let's, let's look at um, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we've got to look at this one very quickly. Um, notice in, in verse um, 13 and 14. In 13, he's talking about how we need to grow into the, it ends in 13, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then in 14, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceiving plotfulness. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, once we leave the infancy, we're no longer just tossed to and fro. And not only are we exercising the Word of God, but when Satan tries to trick us and Satan tries to lie to us and false teaching, you know, someone may come along and say, oh, this would be great for your family, you ought to do it. But it's a lie of Satan. No, I can see through that. In other words, when I was an infant, you could have misled me and my family. But now that I'm maturing, I know the truth and I'm not tossed to and fro. And same way for the, the church family and same way for us individually. Are we growing? Are we maturing? Now, when we go back to our text, I'd like for you to notice that he does speak to the young men. And notice what he says to the young men. And by the way, the points that I just made are just coming back and they're emphasizing this, the points that we, well, I should say I made, the scriptures just made, we're going to see it now from the man's, the young man, in other words, the one that's more mature. Go back to 1 John, the second chapter, and I'd like for you to notice at the end of verse 13, he says, I write to young men, or the middle of verse 13, he says, I write to young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he talks with more detail of what he means about overcoming the wicked one as we skip down to 14 where he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So what happens in maturity? He says, I'm writing to you because, and notice he's praising them. 
He's grateful for what they're doing. What have they done that's so good? He says, you've been able to overcome the wicked one. In other words, you didn't get blown off course. Satan lied to you and you didn't believe the lies. Well, how did you do it? Notice there were two things. They were strong because the word of God is abiding in them. That is our strength. If we do not know the truth, the word of God, we cannot overcome lies, the deceit of Satan that's going to lead us into sin. And so if I'm going to move from infancy, infancy is good if we're an infant. And infancy is where we say, I love God. I know He's my Father. But there has to be a growth that says, I know what my Father teaches. And I know how that is applied to my life. And I know that there is a wicked one that wants to lead me off course. And God and I are going to be partners and we're going to overcome the wicked one so that doesn't happen in our life. But now notice the last one. Notice the fathers. We're back to 1 John, the second chapter. Look at verse 13 where he says, I write to you fathers. Now notice how simple this is. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then same thing in verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. That is so interesting to me. From infancy, you know the Father. As you mature, you know the Father better because you know His Word better. You want to really know the Father? Get into His Word and see how He guides you and how He protects you. See how He gives you the doctrine about life and about His church and about eternal life and about permanent things and not temporary things. And what happens? Our next stage of maturity is where we can say again, I know the Father. But how do you know the Father at this age? How do you know the Father at this stage? You know, there was a woman one time who somebody looked through her Bible and she had taken all through her Bible and wrote T and T beside verse after verse after verse. And somebody, as her grandchild, said to her, Grandmother, why, why do you have that written beside so many verses? She said, all of those verses are tested and tried in my life. God's faithful. You know what? If you and I keep the faith, we're going to get to a point in our life where we say, I know God. And it's going to not just simply be as an infant. I believe He's the Almighty. It's going to be that we have learned Him in His Word and we have lived it out and we have seen every time how He's right, how He blesses us. And then we start talking about a God we know not only because of the Scriptures, but because we have seen the proof of God every day of our life. You remember less than a month ago? Remember less than a month ago I asked you if you wanted to take a challenge? And of course it was up to each of you if you did it. You know, I said, if you want to test God, tell Him that over the next month, everything extra He gives you, you'll give to someone in need. I would sure love to know how many of you took that challenge. And I'd like to know how God's blessed you. You know, when I took that challenge last weekend, money literally came from nowhere. And to be able to take that money and say, God, 
had no idea this would ever come. But I trust you. You didn't give me this money for me. You gave me this money as a conduit. It's not my money. Here it is. What do I know? What do I know? I know how powerful God is. I think about Job. Lost all of his children. Lost all of his wealth. Lost a supportive wife. Lost his health. And you know what he says towards the end of the book? I know my Redeemer lives. Isn't that amazing? Job, what do you know? I don't know exactly how things are going because my heart's broken. My children aren't here. My heart's broken because my health is gone. My heart's broken because all my possessions are gone. My heart's broken because my supportive spouse is gone. Job, what do you know? I know one thing. I know God. I don't understand it all, but I know Him. What does God want you to know? He wants you to know Him as an infant. He wants you to mature and know Him through His Word and make sure that you're living by His Word. Cross every T, dot every I, live faithfully by His Word. And then you're going to reach the stage where one day... Not that we ever arrive on this tide. It's continual growth. But we'll reach the point where we can say, you know, I know that verse is true. I've seen it too many times. I know, I know, I know. This morning, what do you know? God wants you to know Him. God wants you to know you're saved. God wants you to know that you're growing closer to Him every day. And this morning, if we can help you in that growth, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins or you're ready to renew your commitment to Him and come back and and repent and confess sins, what do you know? The temporal things, we think we know them, but there's nothing certain about them. But the things that matter the most, we truly can know Him. If we can help you anyway, it comes we stand as we sing.